Hello and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis. And today, of course, week five in the National Football League preview episode. Decent slate this weekend. There's not a ton of great stuff, which is why the NFL threw us a bone and gave us an outstanding Sunday night football game where the Buffalo Bills will go to Kansas City to play the Kansas City Chiefs. There's a couple games that are interesting on the slate, but in all honesty, the other good game of the weekend is on Thursday night football where the Seahawks are playing the Rams in Seattle. Uh, I am recording a little bit before that game starts in between that starting and between the Rays and Red Sox game starting. So I'm not going to go and tell you to bet the Seahawks or the Rams because that game already happened by the time you're listening to this. So we're going to throw that out and we're going to talk a little bit about how the lines have moved since Monday. And I talked to you guys about football from the weekend. We'll talk about each game a little bit. Some of these games have a little bit more meat on the bone than others. And we'll talk about that. But Before I get to today's show, hope everybody checked out yesterday's episode with Robert Reed from the Daily Iowan. We did a very in-depth breakdown of the Penn State-Iowa game, some of the matchups to watch, some of the Iowa players in particular to keep an eye on. Robert covers the team for the student publication there, so he's got access. He's he's doing shoe-leather journalism. He's talking to the people on the ground, giving us a good idea of what to expect from that Iowa team that is featuring the second-best defense in all of college football against a Penn State team that has probably the third or fourth-best defense in all of college football. So that episode dropped on Thursday, particularly fun, always good to talk to other journalists in the field. But, 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 support the show, please, folks. Slowly but surely, we're picking up a couple more listens every week, and I'd like to get I'd like to get that going more in that direction. So, gotta get more guests, fewer solo episodes. I know I know all of this shit, but no one wants to listen to one voice for forty five minutes if there are guests out there to be had. So, gonna work on making that happen going forward a little bit more aggressively. Subscribe to the show, whatever podcasting platform you like to use whether it be apple Podcasts, spotify soundcloud stitcher all the major podcasting platforms we are there number two interact with the show stuff on social media twitter instagram snapchat wherever you see the show boost it so other people can find it retweet share like whatever the hell the thing you're supposed to do on that platform is to help other people see things Once you've already subscribed, and this is only for Apple Podcast users, by the way. Once you've subscribed, go down our show's homepage, scroll down past our recent episodes. There are going to be five clear purple stars. Hit the one furthest to the right that's leaving a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says, write a review. Really appreciate some more reviews. That really helps me out as a content creator. Do that for any podcast you enjoy, not just this one. Your content creators work hard. Leaving them reviews is an easy way to give them feedback and help them out because a lot of content creators are using these things, whether it be podcasts, YouTube channels, their social medias, for job reasons. The more interactions they get, the more reviews we get, the better it is for our career outlooks. So with all that said, I will see you guys in one second and we're going to talk some football. 
Scared money don't make money, you know? You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Pay him. Pay that man his money. And Webb is going to try to avoid getting sacked in the end zone, and he can't. And that's going to create a safety. <laughs> and that's going to end, end the game. And you know why I'm laughing, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> of course you do. There are some people happy, some not so right. happy. And there are some like going, I can't believe what just happened. We lift the curtain on another season in the league where they play for pay. And with that, we will get on into it. The first game of the weekend. We got a London game this weekend, folks. You get to wake up with a little bit of football at 10 a.m. So you get to watch football from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. You don't get to move. You just order your takeout. You run to the front door. You get back to your spot before you miss too much, especially if you're like me and you're going to be watching seven and a half hours of commercial-free football with our friend Scott Hand. Of course, our matchup in London is not great. I don't know if it's a rule that the NFL only sends bad teams to London to play in this game because they don't want to inconvenience the good teams and that would be a problem for them, but... The Jets and Falcons is not exactly a star-studded affair. The Jets are coming off of their first victory of the season against the Titans. The Falcons lost in excruciatingly Falcons fashion to the Washington football team last week. The Atlanta Falcons are three-point favorites, even though this isn't a traditional home game. As a home team in London, I don't really know if the home field advantages will be working to Atlanta's favor. Atlanta will be out without Wide receiver one, Calvin Ridley, and wide receiver Russell Gage. So, Olamides Zacchaeus, I believe, is their number one receiver. That'll be available. They still have um, Kyle Pitts, obviously, the tight end. They drafted pretty high. They have Hayden Hurst. So, this will be a very curious test for that Jets defense that played pretty damn well against the Titans. I know the Titans' offensive line has been pretty bad this year. The Jets' defense racked up a lot of sacks. I believe five sacks, something like 14 quarterback hits. Week one, of course, the Cardinals had nine sacks in that game. Chandler Jones with five of them. So it, it's safe to say the Titans' offensive line is a problem. Atlanta's offensive line isn't great. We've seen the Atlanta offense have a hard time moving the ball, and especially putting the ball away and scoring in the red zone, even though they have Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley. I mean, Cordero Patterson had multiple touchdowns last week, and it only took like seven years after Cordero Patterson was drafted to find the right role for him. He's floated around. He spent some time in New England, some time in Chicago, now, of course, in Atlanta. And he, he's a gadget guy. you you got to get him the ball in space, give him the opportunity to get a little bit of speed, make a guy miss, that kind of thing. And I'll be honest with you. I expect the Jets to win this football game because I think at the very least I can say the Jets are competent. And I know that sounds crazy to say about a team that scored six points against the Patriots and got shut out by the Denver Broncos, but I at least feel like there's some, some there there's progress. Them finding a way to beat a Titans team, even though the Titans scored multiple times in the fourth quarter after the Jets got back in the game, shows me that they're starting to find a way to get Zach Wilson comfortable. Wilson played pretty well in the second half of the Titan game couple of those deep throws, the ones that you saw him make at BYU, and he was whipping that ball around. He was whipping that ball around. The one play where he pointed and threw it up for um, Corey Davis was a very nice play. You want to see more of the 
intermediate stuff with consistency. You want to see more of the stuff that made Wilson so dangerous at BYU, where even if he's got to throw it into a tight window, you got to give him someone to throw it to. That offense has been very weird. Denzel Mims finally got in the game last week, but he's probably going to be out this week. Jamison Crowder was injured to start the year. So you need some consistency from Corey Davis and the rest of that offense. But I think the Jets will win this football game and get to two wins, which I know that sounds crazy. I believe I had the Jets at four wins in my preseason over-under predictions where I went game by game. And I thought Atlanta was going to be pretty good this year. I thought Atlanta might push 7-8 wins because I trusted Matt Ryan. I thought Arthur Smith would be particularly good. They still aren't consistent enough on offense and dangerous enough on offense, to be honest with you. I mean, if my main focus is having to stop Cordero Patterson, I think I'm going to be all right as a defense. I think I'll figure it out. And if Kyle Pitts beats me four or five plays, that's fine with me. Matt Ryan hasn't looked great this year. He's doesn't have the best feel for the pocket anymore he does he I won't say happy feet like a young quarterback but he's not going through his reads as smoothly he's kind of bouncy in the pocket where he's feeling pressure in his face and it's causing problems down the field now that we've talked about the London game the only good matchup on paper on Sunday The Cleveland Browns going to SoFi Stadium to play the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers, two-point home favorites. The Browns, Baker Mayfield, my guy, Baker Mayfield, playing with a torn labrum, partially torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder. That's why he was so inaccurate last week in their game against the Vikings. He was not really able to throw the ball downfield with any real accuracy. Just think about how you throw a football and how your lead shoulder, the opposite one of your throwing shoulder, is how you aim to throw the ball where your upper body is going. If you don't have a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers type arm where you need good mechanics to throw the ball accurately, if you're not pointing your shoulder where you want the ball to go, it's not going to go there. And for someone to have a torn labrum, which is going to reduce the ability of him to move his non-throwing shoulder, it's going to impact his downfield accuracy. So I am a Baker guy. I know he wants to play. I know he wants to be there for his teammates. But if I'm Kevin Stefanski and you're hanging around in this game and the offense is still not moving the ball, I think you really have to give a a consideration to going to Case Keenum, who is a fine backup quarterback in spurts. There might be no team in the NFL better suited to have a backup play for a few weeks than the Browns, purely because of the quality of the rest of their roster. Their defense has been outstanding so far this year. They've one of, if not the best offensive lines in the entire league. They've got the best one-two tandem of running backs in the entire league. They've got three tight ends who are all NFL caliber players. You've got Odell Beckham, who's still not Odell Beckham like he was on the Giants, but he's slowly... You see little glimmers of it when he gets the ball in his hands. you got Jarvis Landry in there to be in the slot. You've got guys like Anthony Schwartz and Donovan Peoples-Jones who can get involved in other ways in the passing game. So I would, from the get-go, prefer they be starting Case Keenum as someone who has a vested stake in the Browns being good based on me gassing up Stefanski and everything Andrew Berry's done as GM, assembling a really deep roster. And against a Chargers team that we know is going to be going pedal to the metal because they know the Browns are a good team, every point is going to matter in this game. And 
the Browns are not going to be able to just coast on being smarter than the other team this week like they have in the last two weeks against the Bears and the Vikings. And this is the first real test for the Browns since week one against Kansas City where they blew that lead and Kansas City went into Kansas City mode and just kept scoring every time they got the ball. And if Mayfield's going to be inaccurate, that is going to hamper the offense's ability to make a play. And that can, excuse me, Kansas City, that Charger defense. I almost said San Diego. I went. I was gonna go San Diego, and then I said Kansas City. The Charger defense. I'll say so I don't get myself into confusion. Has been very good so far. Brandon Staley is a defensive coordinator by trade, even though he played offense when he was a player. He's got Derwin James playing that big nickel corner role because he can cover pretty much everybody on a football field. They've got Joey Bosa pass rushing. They've got Patrick Queen, the one linebacker who's been pretty good. Excuse me, not Patrick Queen. Uh, Kenneth Murray, the Oklahoma guy. I, I, There were two linebackers taken in the 20s in the draft two years ago, and everybody mixes up Patrick Queen and, um, and Kenneth Murray. So continuing on here. I like what I've seen from the Chargers so far this week, and I feel like this is a good spot to get the Chargers at minus two against an offense that put up all of 14 points last week against a Vikings team. That isn't terrible, but the Chargers are a lot better than the Vikings. So by transitive properties, I would be leaning San, uh, San Diego. I'd be, re- I'd be leaning Chargers here. I trust the offense of the Chargers to figure it out against the Browns' defense. More than I would trust an injured Baker Mayfield to figure it out against a well-schemed Chargers defense. There's definitely more talent on the Browns defense overall. Every single week, I keep talking about how good their secondary is. You saw Greedy Williams get on the stat sheet with an interception against the Vikings. Kirk Cousins looking like Kirk Cousins, Greedy Williams intercepting him. I like the Chargers in that spot. That's really the only good game on paper on set on Sunday. So I'm just going to go through in order here with the spreads I have. So New England coming off of the Brady return to Foxborough going to Houston. Eight and a half points. New England laying on the road against Davis Mills. I think out of pure obligation, you have to bet New England eight and a half. Excuse me, Houston eight and a half. Because New England can't score. New England's offense is extremely mediocre. There is no way to move the ball down the field. And it's all intermediate stuff. There's nobody on that Patriot offense who's going to make a big play in the passing or running game. So if you keep everything in front of you, I expect this to be a relatively low-scoring game because both offenses are going to struggle. I would like to see Houston put up a fight in this game. Davis Mills... It's not good. He just doesn't look ready to be out there yet. He does. He can make some of the throws. He can't make all of them. He's still intermediate. They got the training wheels on him. They're trying to make all his throws kind of easy. But eight and a half. There are some teams that just shouldn't be eight and a half point favorites. Like I said on th- about Thursday Night Football a couple weeks ago when the Bengals were playing the Jaguars. I, I don't think the Jaguars were good, but... The Bengals aren't good enough to cover eight and a half. Come on now. New England's not good enough to cover eight and a half. And I know Houston stinks. I know Houston is probably the least talented roster. They have probably the worst or second worst coach. They're starting a quarterback who has 12 college games of experience, and he's already had three NFL games of experience. So at the very least, I think New England will win this game. I think New England's a good opportunity to use in a tease or a money line parlay, but... 
I can in good conscience encourage anybody to bet on Mac Jones covering eight and a half. Not a lot to say about that game in all honesty. New England's offense last week against Tampa. Tampa has no corners. Like Richard Sherman signed on Wednesday and he played almost every single snap on Sunday. So there will be opportunities here. Brandon Cooks, maybe not the worst idea for a DFS guy for this particular week. Or Brandon Cooks props if you can find a good market for this. Next up, the Detroit Lions going to Minnesota. Nine and a half point favorite Minnesota Vikings. This is another one. I don't think Detroit is good. I don't think Minnesota is good enough to cover nine and a half. That is just a whole lot of friggin' points, man. For an offense that's inconsistent, for a defense that is okay, Minnesota's defense is not horrible, but... I just think that's a lot of points considering Detroit has been okay in spurts this year. I know I suggested them last week against the Bears and Justin Fields had a functioning offense. Not a good offense, but an a functioning NFL offense last week and they were able to ha- take care of business against Detroit. TJ Hawkinson has dried up fantasy-wise, which is frustrating to me as a Hawkinson owner in multiple leagues. Get back to what was working for you the first couple weeks. Force the ball to Hawkinson. Get DeAndre Swift going in the short passing game. Use Jonathan Williams in the running game. You have opportunities here to make things happen if you are the Detroit offense. And I know Minnesota's going to disguise what they're going to do, but this is Mike Zimmer. He's going to blitz. He's going to have his corners. He's going to blitz. He's going to try and disguise what they're doing. There's going to be the nickel corner blitz. I don't think the Minnesota defense is all that good. I think this is not an awful spot for Detroit. Again, I think if you were to throw Minnesota and New England in a money line parlay, the value ain't great, but you should be safe. If anything, I think those aren't terrible teaser options. I mean, getting Minnesota down to three and a half and New England to, uh, getting New England down to two and a half and then Minnesota down to three and a half. It's not terrible, but that's not good teaser value. You're not getting through. You're getting through for the key number, but I just don't think either of those is great value teaser wise. Philadelphia, Carolina. Uh, this isn't quite a loser leaves town match, but for all intents and purposes, if the Eagles lose this game, their season's over. I thought the Eagles were probably a five or six win team. I don't see them winning this game. Carolina played reasonably well against Dallas last week, but Dallas has one of the best offenses in all of football. The Eagles do not have one of the best offenses in all of football. I think Jalen Hurts is playing better as the season has gone on. Philadelphia is trying to iron out the kinks in their offense. Their head coach, Nick Sirianni, trying to adjust their offense as they go because they still don't really have an identity. They don't know what they want to be as an offense yet. Uh, They've had really unbalanced game plans, weird game plans, where they only ran the ball eight times against the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. And then this past week, they never really had a chance. They never were really threatening in their game against Kansas City. And like, yeah, I know, Kansas City wasn't going to lose that game. They weren't going to lose three games in a row. I just didn't think that was something Kansas City was going to do. Everybody had them in a tease. Everybody had them in a money line parlay. Philly's offense is still going to iron out the Kings. Uh, The Carolina defense is 
fast. It's not amazing. I, when I was listening to uh, the Ringer, not the Ringer, the Athletic NFL show, they were talking about how they've got very fast edge guys and beefy interior defensive linemen. They just traded for Stephon Gilmore, who's not going to play this week. He's not eligible to come off of pulp for at least another week. They traded for C.J. Henderson, who they're still trying to ease into that defense. But I think Carolina is decent. I don't think Carolina is a particularly good team, but I think Carolina with Sam Darnold is good enough to beat bad teams like Philadelphia. Even without Christian McCaffrey, Chuba Hubbard, this is the week. Everybody who spent all their fab money on you two weeks ago, bud, the Eagles can't stop the run. For the love of God, get the running game going, especially in the red zone. Please, 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 Chuba Hubbard, score me a fantasy touchdown and be viable this week. It would be greatly appreciated. New Orleans, coming off of a loss to the Giants, going to Washington. I don't understand how the Saints are a two-and-a-half-point favorite against a Washington team that at least has a pulse. I don't think Taylor Heineke is particularly good, but the dude is going to throw the ball down the field and try and make plays happen, even though he doesn't have the arm talent to be forcing balls into tight windows. I mean, I said it last week, and then I, I think it was Nate Tice said, he plays like he's Brett Favre, even though, you know, he does not have the God-given talent that Brett Favre does. And the Saints, Saints laid neg last week. The Saints should have taken care of the Giants. They were up big at halftime, and they let the Giants get back into that game. The Giants' offense won them that game. Daniel Jones broke 400 yards passing for, I believe, only the second time in his NFL career. So that tells you the Saints defense was doing something wrong last week. You need Washington to figure something out. I think this is not a terrible spot to bet Washington getting two and a half points as a home team. I don't think New Orleans knows what they want to be on offense yet. I mean, Alvin Kamara not having a single target last week against a Giants team that doesn't have a linebacker. Like, legitimately, the Giants don't have any good linebackers. It's just malpractice. Uh, Kamara's one of the best receiving backs, if not the best receiving back in the entire league. Give him at least six receptions a game. You gotta get your best players the ball, and whenever you're not doing that, you're inhibiting your offense's ability to be successful. I would like New Orleans to get their offense going, but I just don't see it. I, Washington's defense hasn't been good. I mean, they gave up... 28 points to Atlanta, whose offense is terrible. But I think Washington is equipped. To, they have J.D. McKissick, who can give them the uh, New Orleans trouble underneath. You've got Terry McLaurin, who's awesome. Logan Thomas is not going to be able to go, which is kind of problematic because he's probably their second-best target downfield. I believe Curtis Samuel will be good to go. Antonio Gibson has been pretty bad this year, fantasy-wise. Hasn't really had a ton of touches, done a whole lot offensively. So I like Washington in this spot. I don't think I will be betting Washington. I have a few picks for you guys at the end, which we'll get to. This is a weird game. Neither of these teams is particularly good. So this might come out down to whichever quarterback turns the ball over fewer times because both Winston and Heineke are liable to turn the football over. Next, the Tennessee Titans going to Jacksonville. I, I know it's a shame this game is not on Thursday night football. The Jaguars, four and a half point dogs at home to Tennessee. Don't know if A.J. Brown or Julio Jones will be able to go. 
Jacksonville coming off a week of turmoil. Everybody saw what Urban Meyer was up to last Saturday after the team lost on Thursday night. Their offense is slowly rounding into form. Trevor Lawrence is looking more comfortable. He's still got everything you want. He's making throws. He's polished in the pocket. He's got good technique. All the things you want to see from a guy you drafted number one overall. They're there. And this game is not unwinnable if you are Jacksonville because Tennessee's defense is god-awful. Tennessee's defense very well might be the worst defense in the entire league. So Jacksonville, every opportunity here to get your season back on track and for Urban Meyer to kind of get the discussion off of the college-aged woman who was grinding on his lap at that bar last Saturday in Ohio. Urban, if you have any modicum of self-respect, have your team up for this spot because this is a winnable football game. Four and a half for a Tennessee team that just lost to the Jets last week seems crazy to me. Tennessee especially not knowing if A.J. Brown or Julio Jones is going to be able to play yet, that is a problem. Because you saw last week what that Titans offense looked like without A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. There's nobody on that offense that's going to be able to move the ball down, be a threat for them down the field. I mean, Chester Rogers is not exactly a threatening receiver down the field for defenses to have to worry about. Uh, Jacksonville, win this game. Get the season back on track. Urban. Please, stop wasting Trevor Lawrence. Next, Battle of Florida. Miami going to Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers, 10-point favorites with no defensive backs. It's important we note, the Buccaneers do not have any defensive backs. Richard Sherman, who they brought in off the street on Wednesday of last week, played every single defensive snap on Sunday. Miami's offense looked absolutely awesome awful against Indianapolis last week and I know Indianapolis's defense is not horrendous but Indianapolis is was god awful the first three weeks of the season and last week they didn't look good but they at least looked like they had a pulse for Miami to let Indianapolis look like that that's a problem that is a problem if you are interested in Miami and I think Tampa Bay I think 10 is a big number for a Tampa Bay team that's kind of had a hard time on defense. I, I know the Miami offense has struggled. I know Brissett's not great. But Miami has enough guys where they can hang around. And their offensive line isn't great. Brissett's not great. Gasicki's good. Devontae Parker's good. Jalen Waddle, if he can get the ball in his hands, is good. There's going to be opportunities for Miami to hang around in this game. Expect Tampa Bay to win. 10 is a really big number for a team that's defense cannot play coverage at all. And there's been no pass rush either. Tampa Bay's pass rush that was so dominant last year just hasn't been a thing. So 10, really big number. It wouldn't surprise me if Tampa Bay came out with a fuck you game and took care of business. But I just feel like 10 is a really, really big number. Green Bay going to Cincinnati. The Bengals, three-point underdogs at home to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. This is one of my picks, Green Bay, plus three. Come on. I know the Bengals have won a couple games in a row here. I know everybody's riding the Joe Burrow high. I love Joe Burrow. Zach Taylor's not a good coach. Come on, man. They're not going to hang around with Green Bay. I know the Cincy defense with Sam Hubbard. Hasn't with Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson hasn't been awful. Jesse Bates is always a pretty solid player, but 
Come on, this is Aaron Rodgers we're talking about. This is Aaron Rodgers we're talking about here. Green Bay's going to be able to move the ball. Three points? Green Bay, only a spread of three against a Cincinnati team. Most people expected to only win five or six games this year. Come on, man. This number doesn't make sense. I like Green Bay in this game. Green Bay, you can use at three. You can use them in money line parlay. I, you could put them in the teaser box, but I just wouldn't. I don't like teasing through zero on principle in games. I, I just don't like teasing through zero, more or less, because I, I just don't. Green Bay, three points. Come on. I, the line has moved towards Cincinnati, for that matter. It opened at three and a half. It's down to three. Green Bay, easy, easy. Ben Roethlisberger's last stand. The Denver Broncos, coming off of a very bad loss where starter Ted B. Bridgewater was injured. Drew Locke had to come in. Only scored one touchdown. The Ravens beat them 27-7. I would like to say this game would be fun. Drew Locke versus Ben Roethlisberger in 2021 is one of the worst quarterback matchups we can possibly get. Ben more or less looks done. I know every single legacy media person is rushing to be, well, you can't write off Ben Roethlisberger yet. It's only been three weeks. He's been bad since about week 11, week 10 of the 2020 season. I've seen enough of Big Ben throwing underneath to Deontay Johnson and not being able to throw the ball down the field in the slightest bit. Come on. It's a good under candidate for uh, if you wanted to bet this game. Neither of these offenses is particularly good. Both defenses are actively good. So I, I'd like to say bet the under. I'm not touching this game either side. Denver could win this game 10-7, and it wouldn't surprise me. Pittsburgh could win this game 27-10. It wouldn't surprise me. Don't have a great feel for either of these teams because both of these teams are probably actually bad. So good defenses, bad quarterbacks, okay skill position, guys. This is going to be a weird game. I imagine you'll see quite a bit of this on the red zone where there's going to be a let's go to Pittsburgh where Ben Roethlisberger has the ball and – it's a Denver Bronco defensive back or linebacker picking up a fumble or intercepting a pass, going back the other way, and Big Ben's lumbering body trying to tackle someone, so he dives at them to make it look like he's giving an effort. But come on. If I had to pick, I think you have to go Pittsburgh purely because Drew Locke is god-awful. I think Big Ben is horrendous, but I don't think Big Ben will... I don't think Big Ben is as bad as Drew Locke, basically. Like, I know Big Ben is a corpse at this point, but Drew Locke came in at halftime and looked like he had never played NFL football before. I forget what analyst was saying it. I think I was watching NFL Network early on a Wednesday, and they said Drew Locke looks like he knows one read on the play, that he knows who the primary read is, but never gets to two or three in the progressions because he just doesn't know them. That is pretty funny as a visualization that he only knows one route in the playbook. So keep that in mind with Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt on that defense. Next, Chicago Bears going to Las Vegas to play the Raiders at Allegiant Stadium. Raiders, five-and-a-half-point home favorite. Justin Fields was announced as the starter on Thursday. I like to believe Vegas will take care of business, that they are actually a decent team. They've had the ability to move the ball on offense, even against good defenses. 
They didn't look great against the Chargers, but I also account that to the fact that the Chargers just have a good defense and they're well coached. So I think there's a good spot for Vegas. Vegas, if you wanted to tease through zero to point of point five underdog, I think I could live with that. If you wanted to tease Vegas through zero, even though I don't really like doing that, Vegas not a bad, not a bad money line parlay leg. I don't think you can bet on Vegas five and a half because I feel like. I feel like the Bears are going to start to figure out how they need to play with Justin Fields the more opportunities they give him in that offense. I know his stats aren't great. I know he's still under 50% completions. I know he's still kind of panicking in the pocket where he doesn't really know the primary reads on his plays, where he should be going with the football. Aside from Allen Robinson, nobody on that offense really a threat. They're going to be starting Damian Williams, the former Kansas City Chief running back in the backfield. David Montgomery suffered a lower leg injury. That is a real problem for them. Chicago's going to have a hard time moving the ball in this game. We've seen Vegas' pass rush with Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe be particularly good. The Gus Bradley All-Stars, KJ, KJ Wright, Yannick Ngakwe, all the former guys he had in either Jacksonville or Seattle playing, uh, playing pretty well so far this year for the Raiders. So I'd like to say the Raiders take care of business in this game, but got to see it happen first. That's the thing. This is the kind of game... Last year and the year before under John Gruden, the Raiders find a way to lose. Can the Raiders find a way to win this game? Derek Hart did not look good against the Chargers. You saw the Joey Bosa quote about if you hit him a couple times, he starts to get rattled. Can the Bears get to him behind that? All The Raiders offensive line, I know they traded away three guys. They've had to replace important pieces on their offensive line, but it hasn't been awful the Bears' pass rush is not nearly as ferocious as everybody remembers it from a couple years ago when Khalil Mack was arguably the best defensive player in the league, other than Aaron Donald. It's still good. It's not that good of a pass rush. So I think the Raiders can handle this game. Home field will make a difference in this game. That is a loud stadium. The Bears' offense is having a hard time functioning. Those little things, the home field advantage is a problem for teams with bad offenses or offenses where the quarterback has to check with the sideline for things. Next, my New York Giants going to Dallas, coming off of a big upset win in New Orleans. New Orleans was an eight-point favorite last week. That number was too high. I thought the Giants were going to get smoked, but that offense was bad for New Orleans, and the Giants showed you that if Jason Garrett can get out of his own way, they will be able to move the football. That was maybe the best the Giants' offense has looked in two years. Jones throwing down the field. The John Ross throw was tremendous, hitting him right down the seam over the defensive player. Absolutely immaculate. You got to get the ball to Kenny Galladay more. You saw him on the play that set up the touchdown in overtime, take that third down and five for a first down, break a tackle, and keep going. The Giants' defense is bad, and that's probably the reason I think you have to take Dallas in this game. I have Dallas in one of my picks as teaser legs. The Giants' defense is bad. There is no pass rush. The corners and safeties cannot play coverage for five seconds every single play. So I I think I've said it the last two weeks in a row on the Friday preview episode about the Dallas Cowboys. They're just flat out better than the team they're playing. I think Dallas legitimately can make some noise in the NFC because of the ability of their offense to move the ball. And they've had an opportunistic defense. 
And yes, I know that's code for they've gotten some turnovers, but if Trayvon Diggs is going to keep getting interceptions, man, maybe teams will stop throwing at him. I know he has five through five weeks. He had two a couple weeks ago in a game. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if the Giants stay aggressive. That's really my big question mark for if the Giants are viable as an upset candidate for anything, whether it be the money line dog of the week or using them in a teaser, getting them up to like 14, something like that. I don't think Jason Garrett can get out of his own way. I'd be inclined to just, I'd be inclined to just bet Dallas at seven. I won't be doing that because the Giants, if their offense is is going like it was last week, backdoor cover up the ass, get it down to three or four and just screw you over. Won't be touching it from that perspective, but teaser leg for Dallas. We'll talk about it in a minute. We're almost at the end of the episode. Only a couple more games to talk about. Dallas has had a very interesting year with their defense. Everybody kind of wrote it off, assuming it would be bad. I, Me included, we all just assumed that Dan Quinn would sit in that cover three, try and keep everything in front of you, no big plays. And they've gotten some semblance of a pass rush because Micah Parsons is just kind of a freak of nature, even though he's an off-ball linebacker by trade. They've been using him as a pass rusher, and he's getting a lot of hurries. Daniel Jones running away from Micah Parsons is going to be very interesting to see because both of those guys are extremely fast. So I'd like to see the Giants use more zone read concepts. More importantly, do what you did against the Saints with Saquon. Get Saquon the ball in space. Outside runs, pitches, screens, line him up a wide receiver so he has the linebacker on him and see if he can make a play. For the love of God, Use the guy the way you drafted him. He was a second overall pick. Get him the freaking ball, man. Get him the ball. Next, San Francisco going to Arizona. Arizona is a four and a half point favorite. I think I'm staying away from this game entirely. Every fiber of my being is telling me, it's Kyle Shanahan versus Cliff Kingsbury. Come on, Nick. Just bet on Kyle. He'll figure it out. I need to see Trey Lance start the game. I know he came into the game last week against um, Seattle at halftime after Jimmy Garoppolo's calf kept giving him a hard time. Lance really, really did not seem up to game speed. He really wasn't looking down the field all that much in his reads when the pressure started getting to him. He was one read. If it's not there, I'm an athlete. I'm just going to go. And that's fine. I don't think the Cardinals' defense is all that good. I know they've got some decent sack numbers. I know Lewis Murphy Jr. has a couple interceptions. But turnovers and sacks aren't something you can consistently just scheme up unless you have players who are elite making those plays kind of happen. So I I lean Arizona to win that game. I think Arizona is a good money line parlay opportunity. If San Francisco starts Trey Lance, you might get an NFC title game from 2019 type of game plan where he throws the ball 11 or 12 times. You really might get something like that. And a lot of option, a lot of zone read, a lot of run pass options that are just handoffs. They're really going to try and keep the training wheels on Trey Lance because they want to make him comfortable as possible because he's not ready. I've wanted them to start Trey Lance. You saw him coming at halftime. 
His head was kind of spinning. He was kind of jumping around read to read instead of going through his progressions in a linear manner. And that was concerning. For someone who is extremely raw talent-wise, you want to see him make some plays easy. Once you get the easy stuff down, it's a whole lot easier to start to get fancy. That is what you want to see from Trey Lance. And I don't think... I don't think Garoppolo is all of that much better, but I know Garoppolo can go through his progressions. He can throw the ball to guys who are open. It's going to be tough for Trey Lance to do that in this game. Sunday night, Buffalo, Kansas City. We've seen this game a couple times. AFC title game last year. They played on Monday Night Football last year. They played three years ago in the playoffs. The first year, the Bills were kind of decent with Josh Allen. I expect the Chiefs to win this football game. Just flat out, I do. Um, Buffalo is playing better. Josh Allen is starting to look like 2020 Josh Allen. He's getting better habits. He's starting to look comfortable throwing the ball down the field. They've really used Dawson Knox to great effect in the red zone in particular, which would be useful against Kansas City, who struggles against tight ends. That is one way you are able to beat up on that Kansas City defense. And to be fair, Kansas City's defense has been pretty bad this year. They cannot stop the intermediate stuff because they're soft in the middle of the field. Aside from Tyron Matthew, there's nobody in that secondary you got to worry about. Chris Jones, their best defensive lineman, they had to move from tackle to end to try and generate a pass rush. And he's not doing that. Just flat out, he is not doing that. Without a pass rush, they have to sit in coverage. And... Steve Spagnuolo, as their defensive coordinator, is playing what the experts like to call battleship football. I, I cite this term every now and then, and it's defenses who don't have a base that they like to operate out of. Instead, with battleship football, you are guessing what the other team is doing instead of just calling something to play defense. Yeah, you can try and occasionally, based on the situation, guess what type of play the other team is running, but Kansas City's just throwing shit at the wall on defense and hoping it works play to play because they can't generate a pass rush consistently and because they can't cover. So they will do some gimmicky things on defense like the unconventional defensive alignments. They will blitz guys from the second and third levels of the defense to try and give the other team's quarterback a different look. And they're guessing. They are trying to guess what will work as opposed to having a plan for what is working. Kansas City has always kind of figured out the defense as the season went along and get a little bit more comfortable, things like that. But I think Buffalo will be able to move the ball. I think Buffalo will be able to score a little bit easier in this game than they were in the AFC title game. Buffalo's defense has played really well so far this year. They've been smothering against some of their opponents. They've shut have two shutouts on the year already. I know that they haven't played anyone particularly good Buffalo, especially their defense, but I think Kansas City moves the ball on them. I imagine Travis Kelsey is going to have himself a big day after only having six fantasy points last week. I feel like you can slam, slam, slam Travis Kelsey receiving props. I feel like those are pretty safe bets. The Bills do have decent corners. Micah Hyde is still pretty good. You got the Trey White goalie academy on the outside, but We'll see. Last year when these teams played, Buffalo sold to stop the pass. 
They invited the Chiefs to run, and the Chiefs averaged something like four yards, four and a half, five yards a carry because they were selling out to stop the pass. They said, all right, if you want to beat us with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, that's fine with us. You're not beating us over the top with Tyreek Hill or intermediate with Travis Kelsey. And I don't know if Buffalo can go with that game plan again, but I very well could see them daring them daring the Chiefs to beat them with the running game because it has been so inconsistent for them, whether it be Clyde Edwards-Alaire or uh, Darius Williams, the other running back they have. Lastly, Monday Night Football. This game kind of sucks. Colts-Ravens. Not a big fan of this one. It'll be... I, I expect the Ravens to handle their business. The Ravens are just a better team, period. We've seen it three weeks in a row now on Monday Night Football where the better team just went in, took care of business, and won. We saw the Chargers do it. We saw Dallas do it. Expect the Ravens to do it. The Ravens did the exact same thing last week against Denver. Clearly better than Denver. I imagine they are still clearly better than the Colts. Carson Wentz, still not a particularly good quarterback, even though he played moderately well against um, the Dolphins this past week. They got Jonathan Taylor going, which was big. They need to be able to do that. I don't know if they'll be able to do that against the Baltimore defense, which is schemed so well, but I imagine this will be kind of a low-scoring game. You'll have your Hollywood Brown deep shot or two, and it'll be a matter if he can catch one of those deep shots that they cover seven this number is kind of big. It is in one of my teaser legs for one of my picks that we're going to get to in one second. Just want to see Lamar keep doing what he was doing. That one touchdown pass he had to Hollywood Brown last week was awesome. That was a bomb. Hollywood laid out, caught it, pulled it in. Beautiful stuff. You want to see more of that. You want to see more of that. This is a player who does have a drop problem, but he can make things happen. He can get open. If he just holds on to the ball. Lamar easily is going to find himself in the MVP discussion towards the end of the year. If he keeps playing the way he is. You don't want Baltimore to get going. Because when Baltimore gets going, they turn into a buzzsaw. They've done it two years in a row now. Last year, after the Thanksgiving game, they got on a nice run and won five, six in a row. The year before that, the year Lamar won MVP, they won something like 11 games in a row. When Baltimore gets rolling, their offense, when it is on fire, it is almost impossible to stop. So we've done 45 minutes, did like two, three minutes on every single game. Picks, very straightforward. We went 2-2 two two on our picks last week. The week before that, we went 1-3. But two of those were money, one of those was a money line underdog. And then we got dipped on the Giants. Okay, that's fine. I have four picks for you guys this week. These are all one unit. One unit is whatever you want it to be for you. One unit can be $10, $20, $50, $100. Bet whatever you're comfortable with being okay with losing. It's the only suggestion I'll ever have for you guys. Only bet what you're okay with losing, especially if you're betting more for entertainment reasons. It is pretty damn hard to turn a profit betting football consistently. So you got to take it seriously. You can't be betting just to bet. I gave... An entire spiel about this going into week one, about responsibly picking games, knowing when to stop, that kind of thing. It's fun to throw a couple bucks on games. Don't go crazy. Don't chase it. All that said, very straightforward. Dallas, Baltimore, both seven-point favorites. We're teasing them down to one, minus 134. Dallas is better than the Giants. Baltimore is better than the Colts. 
If I said that in 1997, they would be very confused because they were the Baltimore Colts. Enough said, enough said. Next. Los Angeles Chargers, two-point favorite, hosting the Browns with a quarterback who cannot throw the field ball accurately down the field. I feel pretty comfortable on betting the Chargers. I think Brandon Staley is one of the best coaches in the league already, and he's been a head coach all of four weeks. Green Bay plus three. Come on. There's the Bengals. Until the Bengals show they're not the Bengals, they're still the Bengals. Come on. They are the Bengals. Last one. We'll go money line and dog for our fourth one. The New York Jets over the Atlanta Falcons as a money line underdog. Let's have a little bit of fun, start our day exciting on Sunday with a little bit of London football action. That'll just about do it for everything so far. I will talk to you guys on Monday. We will recap the football weekend. And Tuesday, we will talk about the baseball that's taken place over the last four days. I know, I know, I know. The the Yankees lost. The Dodgers won. The Astros took care of business in game one. The Rays are playing pretty well against the Red Sox right now as I am recording. And by then, we'll have games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that have been played. So... Most of those series could already be on the precipice by Monday, and some of them could be clinched already by Sunday afternoon based on how things go. So we'll talk football Monday, we'll talk baseball Tuesday, and we got hockey next week. Actual, real NHL hockey next week. We'll get some guests lined up. I got to work the phone lines, got to send out some emails. We'll have some fun. Everybody enjoy your sports weekend. It is a great time of year. The slate is absolutely slammed. I'll see you guys on Monday.